Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Things That Charlie Did, Chapter 15. The original purpose for Charlie's trip would have to be put on hold now. With the danger in full view ahead of him, Charlie stopped writing and spent the next several days on the phone with Frank discussing just exactly how this was going to be done. Since Charlie had the money, that really wasn't the issue. But several other things were. First of all, there was the problem of finding a piece of land for sale. Next, convincing people to work on the construction might be a problem too. After all, an obvious competition would develop for employees to cultivate the fields versus employees to build the library. Building the library as a job would not only be temporary, but would have the risk of going against the drug lords. Finally, there was the whole problem of actually getting the money to Mexico so that it could be used to purchase materials and so forth once the plans were finalized. Bringing things together would be a full-time job. Frank donated his time by arranging for an architect friend of his to draw up blueprints for a building that would work best in the situation at hand. In the meantime, Charlie spent a lot of time on the phone at the gas station in Curad Norte. It kind of became his base of operations. The old man that lived there allowed him to keep his fax machine and files there instead of lugging them in and out on what now became a daily basis. The blueprints for the library were simple but practical. A concrete and steel beam one-story building that would house floor-to-ceiling built-in bookshelves running along the sides and through the middle of the building and spaced only four feet apart. This would allow bookshelf space for the most possible number of books, magazines, and reference materials. There would be an area close to the entrance for a large reference desk, there would also be a place to relax and read close to the reference desk with furniture Charlie figured he could pick up in Mexico City. Finally, there would be 10 individual computer workstations in an area off to the side where the building would be equipped with the necessary phone lines and hardware for wiring. After pricing the building materials needed, the cost of delivery, and the estimated cost of labor, he figured, and Frank agreed, that in order to do it right, he was looking at at least 500000 This cost didn't include some things, though. It didn't include the books, magazines, so forth. Those magazines would need subscriptions. There would need to be computers, internet service, which long-distance charges because of the library's location might add up, the reference materials, and last but not least, a place to put it all. He needed some help. Maria would be the perfect person for the task, but he knew her feelings about his having even suggested such a thing. He really liked her. The feelings she had toward his idea, though, caused him to examine just exactly how much. There was a point where he found himself really, really liking her. The L word even came into mind. 
This thing about the library, though, bothered him. Deep inside, he'd searched to understand how she could be so against changing things for the better when she was devoting her life to education. It just didn't seem to make sense. In fact, he began to feel as strangely about going ahead with the project as she did about how it was a bad idea. Knowing that Maria's feelings were very much like Mr. Garcia's, Charlie just kept the fact that he'd been spending so much time planning what it would take to build the library to himself, for now anyway. They saw each other in the afternoons usually, but it wasn't like it had been. There were bad vibes. They weren't coming from Maria, but from Charlie. Almost, he thought to himself. She almost was the one, but no. This time, close, but no cigar, he would say. He didn't really know what that meant. No one does really. It's just something that people say when they get close and don't make it. Maria and Charlie almost made it. They almost happened. Almost. When he got to the point where he figured that he was going to go through with this no matter what, he did go ahead and ask Maria for help. As expected, she was upset and mainly because she feared what the drug lords were going to do. At what point does this all stop? Charlie tried to reason with her one afternoon as he sipped iced tea on the patio. Listen to me, she said calmly, but through clenched teeth. You're going to make things worse. Don't you understand that? What I don't understand, replied Charlie, is how they could exactly get any worse. I mean, how could a library hurt? Explain it to me one more time. He really didn't want to hear her say it again. Maybe if she just said enough, she'd realize how ridiculous she sounded, he thought. She didn't oblige with an answer, though. Look, I want you to be part of this with me, said Charlie. I need your help, Maria. Please. Begging wasn't Charlie's style. In fact, he'd probably never done it before. There had never been the need to, until now that is. Maria pushed her tea glass away and stood, walking away, her back to Charlie, reminding him that he didn't have a place to build the library anyway. Maybe she was right. Anyway, none of this could happen until then, getting the land. None of it. He couldn't even talk Maria into helping get the word out on the street that he might be interested in buying some land. She refused. She just wouldn't do it. The language barrier was going to be a big problem without some kind of help as well. His limited Spanish, which equaled about zero, just wasn't going to be enough to negotiate the sale of a piece of property or even talk about it for that matter. Garcia wasn't going to help either, obviously. There needed to be someone who would help him with this, but who? For the time being, he posted a notice in Spanish on the bulletin board of the church. It translated to wanted. One acre of land in or around Curad Norte or San Miguel. 
road access necessary and left the phone number of the gas station in Cuidad Norte. He put the last part on there to make sure that if someone did come forward, it would be a piece of property that was easily accessible by the people. What use would it be if no one could get to it? His thinking began to be consumed with how to make the entire thing happen. The land situation, he decided, would have to be handled by offering enough money to make someone who might be scared of selling more at ease and more comfortable. The universal language, the American dollar, cash on hand is what he needed, so if someone nibbled at the possibility of selling, he could wave a wad of the big green stuff in their face. Better still, how about open up a briefcase full of cash? Sounds like a scene in a movie, but if it would work, he sure wasn't going to knock it. He relayed the idea to Frank on the phone from the makeshift office he now spent most of his time at. Frank agreed that it couldn't hurt, and arrangements were made for a bank account to be set up in Charlie's name in Mexico City. Frank also arranged $1 million to be transferred into the account so that Charlie would have access to the necessary funds to complete the project. The extra $500,000 was just for grins. A courier would bring Charlie enough cash for a land deal. They decided to have the courier rent a Jeep Wrangler in Charlie's name using Charlie's credit card number so traveling in the mountains would be easier. The courier would bring the Jeep and the money to Curad Norte and return in the Ford Escort in order to protect the cost of the Jeep, money, and the Ford Escort from theft by the courier. Frank took out an insurance policy on the deal. All the bases were covered. The sun setting and a lot accomplished Charlie began to pack up for the day and made the trip back to his room. He didn't see Maria approaching and jumped a little when the door suddenly opened. When he looked up, she was simply standing in the doorway with her arms folded across her chest. She had a smirk on her face that was as close to being a smile as you can get without being there. Come with me, she said flatly. He followed like a puppy. They walked out onto the parking lot, and she pointed to Charlie's car. Come on, let's drive. It's just down the street, but I don't feel like walking. Where are we going, he asked. Park in front of the church, she replied. It took less than three minutes to get in the car, drive to the church, and park. All of it was done in silence. Maria's arms were still folded across her chest, and the smirk had turned to a look of determination. Okay, now what? asked Charlie. All she would say was, come on, as she closed the passenger door behind her and headed up the gravel sidewalk to the chapel's entry. Charlie followed. Dirt and gravel crunching under their feet was much more noticeable than it would have been had they been speaking to one another. What was this? What was she up to? The chapel's double doors were already propped open, 
as if inviting them both with wide open arms. A large fan hummed respectfully and pointed directly at those who took the invitation to enter, causing a warm breeze, but a breeze nonetheless, to pass through their hair, gently tossing it. Jungle humidity, although high, wasn't unbearable. The beads of sweat that had formed on Charlie's head on the short walk from the car to the chapel entry quickly and coolly dried as the fan's breeze hit them. The aroma of the wooden pews, lectern, and large crucifix added to the effect. He pictured the dead body of Juan in his mind. The smell of this kind of wood would forever be married to that thought. It's kind of like the way music does that sometimes. A song brings back a memory just like when you first experienced it. Smells do that too. Two figures sat in the first pew, and that is where Maria was leading Charlie. It only took a few steps forward into the chapel to realize who they were. It was Margarita and Michael. In a hushed tone, respectful of where she was, Maria finally began to reveal what was on her mind. I understand you've been spending a lot of time on the phone lately, she said. Her arms were still crossed, her tone accusatory. The smirk was back. He glanced at Michael and Margarita, who looked up at him as if they were greatly anticipating some earth-shattering response. Wow, this is a small town. Charlie sat down in the pew directly behind Michael and Margarita. Their eyes stayed on him. I have a feeling you've decided to go ahead with what we had discussed, said Maria. You got all that from seeing me on the phone? Well, she said... You're a smart girl, Maria, said Charlie. Yes, if I can find someone to sell some land, I think it's doable, and I want to do this. I feel very strongly about it, in fact. Figured as much, said Maria. Well, I just thought you might want to see who gets hurt the most by this. Tell them, she pointed to Michael and Margarita. The trick was dirty. She felt strongly about her point of view, too. Even though they disagreed, he felt a little bit enraged. Look, he said, his eyes went into a glance that focused not on any of the three, but onto a spot that could never be determined. I'm trying to help here. I'm not trying to get anyone hurt. I know this has risk, but... He squinted and wrinkled the lines of his forehead. Look, the risk bother me. You, Maria jumped in. Her voice now much louder. She quickly checked herself and repeated the word in her previous respectful tone. You? What about these two? She pointed at the couple. Again, Charlie looked at them, breaking his stare that focused on nothing. Their leather necklaces and turquoise stones caught his vision first. Maybe Maria was right. 
It was unlike Charlie to be at a loss for words, just like it was unlike him to not get what he wanted. Is this what you needed to tell me, he asked. Are we through here? Maria glanced at Margarita and Michael. She sat on the pew next to a dejected Charlie Duncan. Her voice was much softer than it had been before. It was almost as if she was telling him a secret when she spoke. We've been talking, she said. The way we see it is if you're going to do this regardless of what I or others say, well, I guess the best thing would be for all of us to be on the same team. So you'd help me with this? asked Charlie. His voice sounded eager. In a way, she said, but probably not like you've been thinking. Explain, he said. He leaned back against the pew and interlocked his fingers. He placed his hands in his lap. He'd calmly listened to the other side when working, and this is the posture he normally held. He shook his head in agreement and smiled, but never intending to budge or give one inch. He'd even mastered the art of looking as if he was seriously considering the other side's point of view. He sensed that this is where he was going with the next part of his conversation with Maria, but he was wrong. I think there's a way we could all help you. I'm listening, said Charlie. First of all, no one could know that we've agreed to help you or even that we've talked about it. It's just too dangerous. Okay, he said. So what is it you have in mind? We go for the root of the problem, she said. The root? asked Charlie. The drug lords themselves. Okay, I'm listening. You work on the library. We're going to be very vocal about opposing it. In the meantime, Michael and Margarita will keep their eyes and ears open for problems that might be coming your way. Hmm, said Charlie, then nodded. Great. That would be great, and I would appreciate it. How does that get at the root, though, as you say? That's the second part of our plan, said Maria. The way we figure it, these guys will appreciate our opposition. We'll use that to get close to them too, to find out more about their operation. That's where I come in. A familiar voice came at them from behind. Charlie quickly turned around. Mr. Garcia was standing there in the entryway of the church. He came forward and continued to speak while Charlie continued to keep his eyes glued to him in surprise. Once we get enough evidence on them, we bust them and get them out of here for good. It's not that we've never thought you were wrong, said Maria to Charlie. It's the danger. She's right, said Garcia. In order to get close enough to those creeps, to get rid of them, we're going to need Margarita and Michael to be willing to risk their lives gathering information. We're willing to, said Michael in a determined voice. We can do this. It's time. You feel the same way? 
Charlie's question was directed at Margarita now. Yes, Juan hated the fact that we've been kept down like this. He tried. He tried to stand up to them. Now, my, neither one of us wants to peddle their poison for them, making their money for them, doing their dirty work while they live in luxury. Sounds to me like you're thinking straight, said Charlie. There was a time, Mr. Duncan, when wearing these was the envy of all. Michael held up his necklace. It's a disgrace, though. The stakes are high here. Mr. Garcia was addressing the group now. He used his hands as he spoke to emphasize his points. We're all in great danger. They will undoubtedly kill us if this is ever found out. I'm willing, but I can't ask anyone else to make such a great sacrifice, said Charlie. We already have, said Maria. He glanced at Michael and Margarita, and they nodded in agreement. Should we tell him now, asked Margarita. Despite the seriousness of their discussion, she managed to smile. Tell me what, asked Charlie. He was a little concerned. What could this possibly be? You can take the notice down for land wanted. We found you a seller, said Maria. Who? Where? He asked eagerly. His eagerness was met with smiles and even a chuckle or two. Hope you like that little makeshift office you've been using, said Garcia. The gas station? Asked Charlie. It's for sale if the price is right, of course, said Maria. Charlie couldn't wipe the ear-to-ear -ear grin from his face, even if he wanted to. The gas station was perfect. The location especially was appealing. The price? Not an issue, really. It was going to be right. Sometimes things have a way of falling into place, like puzzle pieces perfectly clasping in clusters as they reveal a recognizable section of that 500-piece puzzle you'd been working on for days. That day, there was reason to smile. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Things That Charlie Did. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.